Well, good morning. I'm glad to have you with us this morning. Uh, for those that may not know, uh, my name is Brian Robertson. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm very grateful to have you with us this morning as we start a brand new series together that we're calling Name Above All Names, and we're seeking to understand this Jesus. On Easter Sunday, last week, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus and the fact that he is risen as Christ King, but in the weeks after Easter, what's often known as Eastertide, uh, we spend the time understanding Jesus and how we can understand who he is and what he's come to give us and the kind of nature, the kind of uh, proclamation of who he is. It's a way to get to know him a little bit more during these next few weeks. And the, the name of the series comes from a passage in the Newer Testament of Philippians, uh, the, where the Apostle Paul is writing to the church there, and he writes this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. He says, Therefore God exalted him, meaning Jesus, God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That because of Christ, God has exalted him to give him the place of honor, and that the name of Jesus, every tongue would acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, a name above all names. So during these next few weeks, we want to spend some time talking about Jesus these next a couple weeks together. And our hope is that as we understand Jesus, as we understand him better, that we would have our eyes to be able to expand a little bit to understand uh, how his life impacts us. That uh, as we understand him better, we can understand our worship of him better. It's, it's, an, it's not enough, in other words, to just simply see him on one Sunday and kind of say, that's, that's great, but to understand more of the breadth of who he is, the, the majesty of Jesus. So I'm really glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're spending this uh, time with us this morning. And I hope that this series would be something that encourages you and sparks more curiosity in you about this person, Jesus. Uh, and, and one of the ways we can get to know him better is by taking a look at his names or his titles. Because when you, the first thing you do when you get to know someone is you get to know their name. That's one of the reasons we have name tags on so that after the service you can spend some time before you just rush out to get to know someone. And maybe you've seen them for a while, you've seen their face, but you haven't gotten up the courage to say, I should know your name, but I forgot already. And so just put a name tag on and, and just for a little bit. Because one of the first things you do when you get to know someone is you ask them their name. Because their name may tell you a little bit about who they are. It may tell you about their family background. Maybe they were named after their parents, or maybe they were named after their grandparents, or someone special in their family. Their last name will tell you the family that they belong to. They kind of maybe give you an idea of who they are. Maybe their parents named them because of some special meaning behind that name. Or maybe because it just sounds cool. Whatever. They just have some kind of deal. And for the people of Israel, as they got to know Jesus, or as they got to know God more, as he revealed himself more, they would give him new names. They would give him names that were consistent with their experience of him. So this God began to be known, not just as this, you know, infinite God out there, but they began to know him as God our protector when he protected them. God our deliverer when he delivered them. God our provider when he provided for them. God our rescuer when he rescued them. God our refuge when they took shelter underneath his goodness. So the names of God gives us a, an indication of his character, of who he is. And the names of Jesus reminds us of who Jesus is. 
and of his character. So over these next couple of weeks, we're going to take various looks at these names or titles of Jesus, names that people called him. And our hope is that as we understand Jesus more and these names, these titles that are given, that it will shape our lives. Our worship of God and worship of Jesus would deepen. That our confidence in him would strengthen. And the quickness to which we obey him would increase. The quickness of our obedience would increase. So as we get started this morning, we're going to look at the name prophet. How Jesus is prophet. And what that may shape, how we may understand him more. So let's get started. Let's pray together and we'll unpack it a little bit. Jesus, we are humbled and in awe before you. I pray, God, that this morning, wherever we are, that we would lay our defenses down. Whatever has happened this morning or this past week, we lay it down. We release it simply to clear some space that we can hear from you. And I pray that you would bring us fresh words to us, that we may understand you as you are, and it may give shape to who we are as well. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, most of the time when I use the word prophet or I say prophecy, most of the time I get the similar response by people. They, they usually think about, well, you're talking about someone foretelling the future. Someone's got like a crystal ball or a palm reader of some kind or who's going to give some kind of prophecy about the future and it's going to come to pass or maybe it's not going to, whatever. But in the biblical sense, when the Bible is talking about a prophet, the prophet's primary role isn't really to tell the future, although at times they do that. Their primary role is to not foretell, but is what's also known as forthtell, to speak to someone. Not, their primary role is to have a word from God for people speaking at a specific period of time to understand who God is. There's something, a word that they needed to hear, and he needs to speak directly to them. And oftentimes prophets will also have a word about the future, and they will also foretell the future. So there is that role of a prophet, but their primary role isn't about foretelling. Their primary role is about forthtelling. They are the spokesperson of God. They hear from God, and they speak the words of God to the people. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, you hear, as you read through the prophets, you hear the person saying something like, the Lord God told me, or this is the word of the Lord, and he speaks a word, or she speaks a word directly to people. This is what God said. I had a vision, this is what it said, and I'm just telling you exactly what it is. This is what God's instructions to the, to the prophets are to do. To hear from him, and to be his mouthpiece, to, to speak on behalf of him. The first prophet was Moses, and God gives that same instruction to Moses and even the further prophets all along the line. Moses, God tells Moses in Exodus chapter 7, he says, You are to say everything that I command you. Whatever I tell you, you say it. That's the prophet's role. That's what a prophet does. He hears from God, and he speaks directly God's word to people. And God sends a line of prophets all through the Old Testament to speak for him and to lead people to repentance of their false ways and towards a more strong, obedient life in God's kingdom. And the role of the prophet, among all the other roles that could be there, kings and priests and scribes and teachers and and all the various different aspects of the uh, Hebrew life there, the role of the prophet was by far the most dangerous role that anyone could play. By far. Because their role was often to critique the people that were around. They were to call them to repentance. Tell them how they were off base. Tell them how they were going, doing things wrong. And people don't usually like that when you start meddling in their business and telling them that you're doing wrong. And Moses was a great prophet, 
And then the whole line of prophets, as we see in the Older Testament, where God is using men and women to, to speak truth to people and to lead them away from false worship and towards a true worship. But God gives this vision to the prophets that he would raise up a greater prophet, the prophet, the promised prophet, that would be greater than all the other prophets. And in the Newer Testament, we see this being fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, the resurrected king, the promised prophet, mouthpiece of God. And in Acts chapter 3, Peter, the apostle, sees and he's instructing people around. He sees how this is played out in Jesus when he writes this. He says this. This is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. And then Moses said, the Lord, will, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people, and you must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold about these days. Jesus comes as the fulfillment of the prophet, the promised prophet. And he speaks directly to us the word of God, truth to us. The New Testament refers to Jesus some 16 different times as prophet. People gathered around him and they recognize him as prophet. As he feeds the multitude of people, they recognize him. And surely this is a prophet from God. The woman who he speaks to at the uh, well, she goes off and she says, I, I know that you are a prophet, that God's going to send a prophet. And he says that I am that prophet. He called, there's 16 different times the Newer Testament refers to Jesus as prophet. He himself calls himself a prophet. He says, whatever I see the Father doing, that's what I'm doing. I, whatever I hear the Father saying to me, that's what I say. Every time that he says it, he's saying, I'm taking on the role of a prophet. He actually says even when people question him in his own hometown, in Nazareth, they don't res- respond well to him. They reject him. They question him. And he says, even a prophet is honored everywhere else except in his hometown, among his relatives and his family. They don't accept him. He refers to himself as a prophet, and others recognize him as a prophet. In one of these situations where Jesus, with a couple of his closest friends, he goes up on a mountaintop, and he's transfigured before their very, uh, very eyes. And Moses is there, and Elijah is there, and then the, the disciples hear the voice from heaven. It's God the Father. and says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus is the prophet, the promised prophet, the one that brings word of God, a word from God, and we are to listen to him, for he has truth. And like all the Old Testament prophets, he falls in the similar lines. He's got strong words to those that are in leadership and those that are, are abusing their leadership over people, that are, have authority, and they're using that authority in incorrect ways. He calls them a brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs, among some other things. And like many of the other prophets, his message of critique his message of strong truth was what ultimately got him killed. Now, I know the Romans did the crucifixion, but we understand behind the scenes it was the people that Jesus was critiquing, the ones that he was speaking truth against, that were behind the crucifixion. So what we see is in Jesus is we see the promise, the greatest, the ultimate prophet, the one who speaks God's truth. And he's way more than that, for sure. That's why we're going to take a few weeks talking about it. Because if you're just, just simply to say he was a prophet, that would be a mistake. He's not just a prophet. He's the prophet. He's the one who doesn't, doesn't bring some parts of truth. He brings all of truth. He brings all the truth, the whole truth. 
After his sermon on the mount, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he didn't teach like all the other prophets. He didn't speak like all the other teachers of the religious leaders. He didn't say, you know, the Lord has said this. He says, I say this. And he has authority like no one else. He speaks with a supreme authority because he knows and he has the word of God directly in him. And with Jesus, we don't just hear the word of God, but we see the word of God. His whole body embodies, his whole life embodies the truth. Jesus is prophet. This is what led the gospel writer of John to say this in his opening remarks of his, of his chapter, John chapter 1. He said, the word or the truth of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. You see, prophets give a message, which Jesus did. They hear from God, and they give a message, which Jesus did. But he's so much more than that. His life, he is the truth. He is the way. He is the message. More than just proclaiming it, he demonstrates the message. He's this promised prophet from long ago. And when he speaks, we hear ultimate truth about who God is, about how our life is, about the reality of this kingdom and the reality of his kingdom of the kingdom of God and about eternal life, we hear truth directly from him. So if that's if that's who Jesus is, if that's one of his names, his titles, and he brings truth, then how does that impact you and I? How does that change how we understand Jesus? How does that change how we interact with him? Well, I want to suggest for you just a few things how this understanding of Jesus as prophet would change how we understand him. The first thing I want us to see is, the first thing we do is that it would, we would marvel at Jesus. We would be astonished at Jesus. He stunned the crowds with the authority which he spoke. He spoke perfectly uh, and represented God's ways perfectly without any kind of hesitation. And we should marvel at that. We should be stunned. Allow ourselves to be in awe of the perfectness of Jesus. The mission of Crossroads Church is to invite people to apprenticeship to Jesus. And one of the aspects of that, the part of that means that we are learning to live by faith. And when we say learning to live by faith, what we really mean is that we are learning to trust and believe that the words and the ways of Jesus lead to abundant and eternal life. We're learning to put our trust and our confidence in the words and in the ways of Jesus. We're learning to receive Jesus as the truth the authority, the final authority on all aspects of life. We're learning to see Jesus and the ways of Jesus as being abundant and life-giving and fruitful and the final authority on everything, on how we treat one another, is influenced by Jesus and His ways. How we go about our business and how we operate with clients and, and customers and people around us is influenced by our trust that Jesus' way is the way of eternal life. How we learn to reconcile and forgive those people who have hurt us is influenced by the ways of Jesus. How we handle our time, our money, our talents, everything around us, how we, re- how we uh, submit ourselves to Jesus and His ways is influenced because He is the final authority on all measures of life. All measures. Because He speaks ultimate truth directly from God to us. And not just does He say it, but He lives it. And we see that truth in flesh dwelling among us how to live the abundant life friends if you and i are going to be apprentices to jesus if we're going to grow in our faith and grow and to learn to live by faith 
then we need to receive Jesus, not just some guy some few thousand years ago who died on a cross for our sin, but we need to receive him as prophet in our life to speak truth to us, to speak the truth to us, because we are beginning to believe that his ways are ultimately best, that his ways and his words will ultimately lead to the abundant, fulfilling life in eternity. And it's only through him, and it's only through his ways that we begin to believe that. But in the Bible, when I say believe, in the scriptures, whenever belief is there, it's always accompanied with action. It's always accompanied with action. So when you hear Jesus say something like, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, it's not enough to just kind of give a head nod and go, oh yeah, that sounds good. But we learn to do it. Because we are believing, we are, we are ready to act as though it is actually true that loving our neighbors or loving our enemies and praying for our those who persecute you, is the best. That is the way of the kingdom. When he says to forgive someone, not just seven times, but 70 times seven, we're beginning to orient and reshape our life around forgiveness and reconciliation. We're beginning to believe that he's actually speaking truth. When he says it's better to give than it is to receive, then we are believing it is actually better, and we're believing he's speaking truth. And we reorient our priorities and our ways of life and the ways in which we kind of cultivate our life. We reorient everything guided by Jesus and by his teaching. And we begin to increasingly live distinctively different lives than the culture around us because we are guided by the prophet, the one who speaks truth and speaks it directly to us and who embodies it. And our culture and those ultimately walking around, they, they're guided by everything else but the truth. And we would begin to live distinctively different lives. At one point, Jesus is speaking some kind of difficult things to people. And they began to hear what he was saying. And they thought, this is too much, Jesus. I mean, some of the, the feeding of people and the healings, all this kind of stuff that feels really good. That's really good. But some of the stuff is getting a little crazy and a little bit kind of out there. So this is too difficult for me to understand. And they left. They turned their backs and they walked away from Jesus. And Jesus turns to his close friends and he says, well, what about you guys? What about you? To which Peter fantastically responds in John chapter 6, Lord, to whom will we go? To whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. And check this. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Have you come to the point in your understanding of Jesus where you've begun to believe, to know that his words will lead you to eternal life, that his ways will lead you to eternal life, so much so that you are beginning to reshape and recalibrate your life around the teachings of Jesus, where it's not what you want, but it's what he wants, where you, he's beginning to teach and show you that it's better for you to serve than it is to be served, which means that are you finding yourself in places where you are serving more often, or are you finding yourself in places where you're wanting to be served? And he says it's better to give than receive. Are you finding yourself in a position where you are giving more and more and increasing in that, or are you waiting for people to give to you. When he tells you that it's better for you to forgive and to continue to forgive and go after reconciliation, do you find yourself freely and willingly giving forgiveness and reconciliation to people or are you waiting for someone to earn it in some way and, and need it and feel the pain that they are causing? Are you wanting to learn a new way? 
are you learning that Jesus has the words of eternal life? And his ways will lead you to eternal life. See, friends, if you're going to be an apprentice to Jesus, then you have to see him for who he is. Not just the guy that lived some thousands of years ago. He has the words of eternal life. And he speaks truth. Even when it makes you uncomfortable and squirm in your seat a little bit. He has words of truth. And we are to know him and receive him as the one true prophet. The one who speaks for God. And the second thing that we can do, and this kind of is related to the first one, but the second thing we can do is that we, our confidence would grow as we share that good news with other people. Our confidence in Jesus and in God would grow as we share that good news with other people. One of the emphasis of our church is to invite other people to apprenticeship to Jesus. Invite them to begin to orient and recalibrate their life around the teachings and the ways of Jesus. That the things that they are ultimately longing for, the things that is the answer to all of their stuff, is to calibrate their life under the teaching and the rule of Jesus, where it is His way, not our way. And as we see Jesus and we experience His way in our life, then we will begin to be courageous and our, our courage will increase. We'll be bold enough to share that good news with the people around us. That the, the answer to their deepest longing is to pursue apprenticeship with Jesus. Their answer to all of their things is to pursue a life that is calibrated around the teachings of Jesus. This is what people did all throughout the Scriptures. Whenever they encountered Jesus, Whenever they encountered the life and the teaching of Jesus and they found out who he was and how he was speaking truth to them, they ran to tell people about him. They ran to tell people about the one who has truth and who can speak that truth and that that truth will set you free. They ran to tell people. They couldn't keep it to themselves. So as you experience Jesus as true prophet and you understand his leading and you orient or recalibrate your life around his way, then may you be more courageous and bold in your sharing that with those around you. Letting people know, I found the way. I found the one that can lead us to eternal life. My prayer is that we would be increasingly confident as you invite, as we invite other people to experience and explore the teachings of Jesus and to incorporate those teachings into their life, to incorporate his way into their life. But there's a third, third way that we would respond to Jesus as prophet, and that is that we would learn to grow in genuine compassion for other people. See, the call of Jesus, the call of the gospel, the call of apprenticeship is not simply to be bold about walking around and telling people how they're messed up and all that kind of stuff, and how they need to change their ways. And it's not just this bold, like, in-your-face, annoying kind of stuff, but it's with genuine empathy and compassion because I know where you've been, and I know a better way. See, when someone knows their own stuff and they know where they've been, but they've seen a better way, then they don't just lord it over someone. They don't just smack it in front of their face, but they do it with genuine compassion and empathy. And I know what you're going through. And it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be like that. When we see Jesus, we not only see Jesus, one who comes in perfect truth, but we see someone who comes with perfect grace. And with perfect grace. And some of us are really good at speaking truth into someone's life. We're really good at just being real quick to just 
be bold in their face and tell them what they're doing is wrong and how they need to fix it, how they need to so- solve the solution. But we neglect compassion. We neglect empathy. We neglect the heartfelt love of our neighbor. Others of us are really good at the compassion thing. We're really good at, at loving and, and caring for people, making sure that they know that they're well cared for, but we shy away from boldly proclaiming that the answer is in Jesus and in Jesus' way, in the way of Christ. We shy away from that. And we need to remember the boldness with which Jesus spoke truth, even difficult truth to people, made them squirm a little bit, maybe even made them turn their backs, but he never lost sight of a ministry of compassion and of genuine love. That's what one author calls his compassionate boldness. And I love that phrase, compassionate boldness, where he looks out over the city and he has compassion over them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. While he definitely has tough things to say, his heart is always moved with compassion and deep care for those who are far away from God, those who have wandered away. So to receive Jesus as prophet, to understand him as being the mouthpiece, the the one who brings truth in every circumstance, every situation, is to notice that he has words for you. He has words for me. Not just words out there, but he has words for me here. And his truth needs to be spoken to me. And I need to recalibrate my life around the teachings and the ways of Jesus. So my prayer for you, my prayer for me and for us during this season here, is that we would learn to see Jesus as the true prophet, the one who speaks truth, who lives truth, and his ways are always good, are always right. We would marvel at his wisdom, the perfect purity and the perfect truth that comes from him. And we would submit our ways and reshape and reorganize our life around his ways where we're learning to love our enemies, where we're learning to pray for those who persecute. We're learning to give rather than to receive. We're learning to serve rather than to be served. We're learning to seek reconciliation and forgiveness rather than bitterness and difference. We're learning the ways of Jesus. May we see Jesus as the one who has eternal life in his words and in his ways. And may we be courageous and bold enough to invite others to this way of Jesus. But always with compassion, grace, mercy, 